Hey, my name's Ariel, and you're listening to Rock at Night. This is Anita Stewart, and we're talking to Ariel, who is a guitar prodigy. Um, she's coming out with a new album. I think this will be your ninth album, right? Yeah. So it's titled Analog Girl in a Digital World. It's going to be released on May 7th this year. Of course, we're going to be putting up the links so you can pre-order the album on CD, vinyl, or digital. And I did just take a listen to the new single, Peace of Mind, which has already been unofficially released on YouTube. And it's going to be officially released Friday, this Friday, February 12th. So the Ariel Signature Guitar is your project, which is coming right up. Four different types of guitars that are based on your two-tone, which is something that you built with some collaboration with um, a friend of yours. So let's just go ahead and open this up and you can tell us a little bit about the four guitars. Actually, I'm looking at them on Facebook right now and I can't pick a favorite. So tell us a little bit about how that whole project started. <laughs> sure. Well, um, the, the four that you're looking at right now, I'm, I made a, a Facebook post today and Instagram post about uh, some of some of the different prototypes that I've made over the years or, or have had made to get to the point we're at now. Um, Two-tone was an idea that I had inspired by Brian May since he made his guitar when he was 16 with his dad. I wanted to have a cool story like his. I wanted to have a guitar that that no one else had that was that was unique and custom to me and what I felt I wanted and, and needed to have in an instrument. So I had a friend named Patrick and he had made a few guitars, kind of amateur on the side. And I asked him, hey, could we make a guitar for me? He said, yeah, absolutely. So we went back and forth with designs. He would draw one, I would draw one. And eventually I, uh, I got, I drew two-tone and uh, we started building two-tone from scratch. It's, it wasn't a parts guitar. It wasn't me tracing other guitars. It was just hand-drawn and hand-done. So it took about six months. And um, the first guitar we had, I believe, was in 2007 of two-tone and um, took a little bit longer to finish. And uh, he actually ended up disappearing. It's a very long story, but I can't find him anymore. He, he kept saying, oh, I, I, we need to hurry and need to get this done. And he disappeared. And um, wow. so I've been, I've been carrying on the guitar. I never thought it would be um, any sort of a guitar line. I definitely didn't think it would be at this point. I just kept trying to recreate the guitar and what I believed at the time was making it better. So the first design that I have was from 2000, um, geez, 
I don't even know, I think 2009, 2010, and that's the silver one uh, I've named silver. And um, each variation in color and uh, guitar has a different spec. And about five years ago, I kept being asked by my, my fans, how do I get a guitar? How do I get a guitar? And I was like, well, I didn't know you wanted one. I, I just thought it was just me here, you know, playing these guitars. And I thought it was selfish. No one else could play one. So um, about, about three years ago, I decided my friends and I, new friend in Nashville, we're gonna make these guitars one by one, as many as we could in a month, which, which would probably be no more than one or two. And that would be it, just be my own guitar line and people could buy them if they wanted. And I was on the road. Uh, my longtime friend, Brian May was in town and we had lunch, asked what was going on. And I told him, hey, I'm, I'm building guitars with a friend and we're gonna have our own line. And he said, well, who's doing it for you? And I said, oh, I'm just doing it myself. And he said, well, why doesn't Brian May Guitars put out the guitar for you? So that's what started it. It was three years ago. And since then, we've, um, we've made this guitar um, what it is now. It's, it's not a replica, of course. It's, it's its own variation, just like all the other ones, really, that has had a lot to do with Brian May looking at what he believed to be the best specifications of my guitar and also of his guitar. And um, we've combined his and my guitar um, as well as some new features to create this guitar that um, is, is a labor of love. And um, I'm very excited and kind of afraid to have other people playing it because in the entire time I've had this guitar, I've, I've never seen anyone else play it other than my own. It's gonna be very weird seeing videos and and uh, pictures of, of other people playing my guitar, so. Is the, uh, let me ask you this, is, um, is it lighter than most guitars? Um, did you design it that way? Um, yes, absolutely. That's very important to me. I'm, I'm not very large. I'm, I'm you know, barely five foot. <laughs> and, right. uh, and, um, you know, having a having a ten pound guitar, as anybody knows, is is painful after a while, especially when you're on the road and playing after a couple hours. I mean, your shoulders done for a few days. So, um, the wood that I use and uh, that I used on two tone is called Limba, and um, we use the lighter variation. There's black and white Limba, and um, unfortunately, we couldn't source the black Limba, even though it's from the same tree. Um, so we have white limba, which tends to be a little bit lighter than your average guitar uh, that features mahogany or um, anything of that nature. So they're quite light. It's actually lighter than my uh, original guitar. So it's very comfortable. It can fit a, a guy the size of Brian May, who's, who's, I mean, I think he's around 6'2 or 6'3. I don't know, he's quite tall. Works for him and then it works for someone my size too. I think if I was going to pick a favorite, I would pick the one with the lightning bolts across, <laughs> yeah. across the neck. But, you know, I'm a fan of orange. I love orange and bright colors. But, you know, that lightning kind of, for me, it supersedes the whole design. <laughs> I really like that one. Um, so let's talk about your collaboration with um, Brian May, because uh, you've known him quite a long time and you were involved in... Uh, in a project of his called We Will Rock You, which featured the music of Queen. Can you tell us how that all came about? Sure. So I, I met Brian May um, 
right around 2007. And he had a book that came out that was uh, featuring a lot of his brand new work. He had just gotten his PhD in astrophysics. And I was living in LA at the time, going to Musicians Institute in Hollywood. He was stopping by Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. There's a store called The Soup, uh, Book Soup. That's right, Book Soup. And um, I showed up with my guitar and I was like, I'm gonna be friends with Brian May, that's gonna be it. And um, we ended up becoming friends, which was, which was really neat. And we became pen pals for about a year, year and a half. And he had mentioned that there was a musical that, that was going on in, in London, which I did know about. And it was, it's a, it's a playoff of their, of their music. It's a story, uh, a real musical based around the music. It's very, it's, it's interesting. And I, I thought it was pretty well done. And of course they have live musicians playing it and him knowing that uh, I could play Queen stuff. You know, I've studied the heck out of, out of that and knew how to play everything. And he's like, Hey, you should, um, audition, really um, sit in and see if this is something that you'd be interested in. So sure enough, I get my crazy butt on a plane and I'm, I'm headed to England. I'd never even been there. And I was, um, at that point, I was 18 years old, going to England to live by myself after never being there. <laughs> Thinking about it now, I'm just like, wow, I really, <laughs> I had dived. I don't know what I was doing, but um Anyway, I got there and um, he had me sit in and um, I, it's, it's interesting how they do it. They have wings, so you don't actually see the musicians most of the time. There's very steep stairs. You sit above the audience and um, get to play the music. It's, and they're amazing musicians. Um, I think it was Tina Turner's guitar player was one of them. And you have uh, musicians from amazing um, histories. So it was a really cool experience to be able to play at Wheel Rock You. So let's talk a little bit about your history because you you grew up in New Jersey, Hawaii, and California, <laughs> and it's it's almost like when I listen to your music, I feel like I'm in a time warp that you've gone way back into the classic rock genre, and I'm reminded of so much other music, even though yours is quite unique. Uh, so I'm thinking of the '70s. How did that? that love for that sound happen with you? And what's your earliest recollections of music and picking up a guitar? That's a good question. Um, well, I, I love that you said that and I'm actually um, honored because to me, one of the things that, that I, my fans have hung in me, hung in there with me with this is, um, that when you see me live, I really run the gamut of, of um, influences and, and things that I like to do, be it uh, a jazz kind of more traditional jazz approach to the guitar, or maybe I'll do kind of a harder rock song and then I throw a little country in there sometimes, just influenced. And uh, I always, I always thought it was some, I mean, I, you know, you listen to Billy Joel and he, the Beatles, um, Queen, they, they've, always, they've always had a way of expanding their songwriting. And it just so happened that the, that the song was produced in, in a different way um, that was, um, I don't know, in, in a box, but I've never liked to be in a box, but I've always wanted to capture the essence of a time period. And when I think of the sixties and seventies, 
to me, that's a magical time in music. And I've, and just like with the guitar that I've tried to look, look at and, and find different things that, that I like and don't like about it. And what is it that makes it sound that way? I've, I've done the exact same thing with, with music of the sixties and seventies. How, how does it work that every time I turn it on, I feel like it's so magical. Like I've never even heard it before, even though I've heard the album a billion times that it makes me feel the same way every time. And I, and I can't say the same for, for a lot of the modern music. And, and I've been trying to figure out why um, for, for decades now. And I, I feel like I'm getting closer. So thank you for saying what you did because it, me it means I'm getting somewhere um, while also trying to maintain uh, my own identity within it, as you mentioned. Um, but ever since I was really, really young, I've always listened to music a few generations before the one I was in. So having having um, older parents than most of the other kids in my school, I instead of growing up with Backstreet Boys and, and Britney Spears in the '90s, I grew up with with doo-wop uh, from the '40s and '50s, and um, and some jazz from that period as well. And then as I got older, I just kind of went up. So I started off with the '40s and I moved up to the '50s and '60s and '70s, and you know it's. Uh, it's been a really, really fun journey. One of the things that's pretty um, predominant with a lot of that 60s and 70s music is that um, just the craft of songwriting, writing a good song seemed mm. to be so important to those musicians back then. And also their ability to be able to write a song that's timeless. I mean, when you look at some of those songs back then, like the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, um, we're talking about like just classic rock and roll. You could take those same songs um, and you could sing them in a jazz style. You yeah. could sing them. Yeah, you could sing them in a folk style. You can take them like that. Um, what's the name of that band? Jukebox. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh -huh. you know what I'm talking about. That that band can take all those songs, those rock songs, and turn them into jazz or turn them into doo-wop or whatever they're doing. And those songs still have the hooks. You still want to sing along. It's amazing. And um, I don't think a lot of the songwriters now, I can't say a lot of them, but yeah, maybe. They just, there's something that's changed in that quality of writing that timeless piece is not as predominant. So that's just kind of my take on it, but you know, somebody else might uh, have a different idea, you know? So um, tell me this, how do you think since you've been in music that things have changed for women in the music business? I know you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> How have things changed for women in the music business? Uh, oof. I don't want this to sound so bad, but I don't feel like it's changed that much. Um, and I say that what I'm referring to is um, there's an awareness now that might be a bit different, that women do get treated differently than men in the music business as well as others, but since here I am as a musician, we'll, we'll just refer to that. Um, when I was growing up, a woman that was a guitar player was not really a thing. 
Um, social media, I mean, Facebook, or there was MySpace first. I don't think I had one of those till I was like maybe 15 or so. So I, I didn't have any, any online influences. It was really whatever musical, um, tangible influence I had. It wasn't, um, you know, through social media. So it, it was difficult because you didn't know about the ones that were like me or, you know, the, the lesser known female uh, musicians. Um, and then I got a lot of, I got a lot of um, flack from the guys. Like I would want to join a band and they wouldn't let me because I was a, a girl. And they're like, well, it's not cool to have a girl in a rock band. I'm like, I think it's kind of neat. Like, nah, it makes it all prissy. And I, I struggled with that. And then, and then what ended up happening was women became a commodity. Then it's like, oh, I want a woman in because they're, because they're, they gotta be hot. And then it was, well, I want to have a woman in there because that means that I'm like gender, uh, I approve of all genders and I'm not sexist. And, and it's, it's I, I think we're not at the point yet. And that's just with, that's just with the musicians. We're not even talking about the business. Of course, still in, in the biggest guitar companies and also in most of the, of the big record labels, women aren't normally running it. They're not running the bigger ends of it. And so what ends right. up happening is they're targeting women a lot of times to, with products and with, um, with whatever they're putting out, yet they don't have any on their team as well as women on the radio. I mean, they say less than 5% of the people on the radio in any genre are women. So there's still issues. I think they're just more known. And the only point that it's going to be neutral is at the point that we literally do not care. And this isn't a conversation. So I, I believe that it hasn't grown that much other than the fact that we know about the Weinsteins and things like that, right. which is extremely prevalent in the music industry. I, I could tell you stories that you could probably imagine easily, but uh, maybe some people wouldn't. So it's uh, I think it's Yeah, I think it's that way in business just in general, but the music business especially, because it's like you can't break through unless you have some real powerful connections, you just can't. And, um, and then of course, uh, like you said, having, being a female guitarist in a rock band, and then for a while it was trendy to have the female uh, singing lead mm, and so yeah. on and so forth, you know? Now it's kind of like, okay, you need to have a female bass player. So it's whatever the trend happens to be at the moment. Oh, that band I was thinking about, Postmodern Jukebox. That's there the it is. Yeah, <laughs> there it is. Um, so let me ask you this, and um, this is another interesting question to think about. Um, how important is it to you to remain an independent artist, and why? Well... I was signed to a record label. And I don't think that's inherently bad. You just have to understand it. And you know, you can read books and say, oh, don't sign a deal. But until you truly understand why and what their benefits are, ha are having um, a record label versus not, uh, then I think it's, a, it's fair to say one should not sign a contract. Um, I was one of those people that did anyway and uh, ended up in a, in a really bad situation. So at this point, 
I'm not, I'm not super concerned with having a record label. I, I believe that's the, that's typically the thing that people refer to as being independent is without a label or, or without a major label anyway. Um, that being said though, having a team is very important and uh, it's one of the things that I'm working on. So it's important to me, whether I'm independent or not, that I retain the musical and personal uh, integrity that I bring to the music and to my audience. That's the most important thing, be it I write about things that I think are genuine and feel are genuine and true to me in my experience. Um, I write songs without contemplating whether they're hits. I don't tune my vocals or alter my performances in a way that's non-authentic. Actually, I don't at all. I just, I just play it again if I feel it's not good. Um, and, um, and those things, I, I dress the way that I want. I, I, all those things are important to me. And as long as I retain that and uh, I can have good people around me, then being independent or not independent doesn't matter as long as the integrity is there. Right. Yeah, those are, those are good. Um, those are just good ways of, of being a musician. Um, and not compromising, I think is really the most important. Um, and I think if everybody could uphold that, it, it would be, there would be a lot better things happening in the music business right now. Uh, let me ask you about your albums. And were these mostly in the very beginning kind of DIY efforts? Did you have a lot of collaborations and help? Um, and how important was it to you to get the music out? Well, since I've, since I've been creating music, a lot of things have changed. My first, my first EP, there, it was very difficult to get on iTunes. There weren't many sources of being able to get, and now anyone can, can get on iTunes and what we have now as Spotify, but b before, when I was first putting out albums, it was extremely difficult. So they were DIY and that's why some of them are very hard to find. And I, I, should, um, I should share them at some point with people knowing, hey, these are really old and not what I'm doing now. Sometimes it's, it's hard for people to understand that uh, re-releasing music that they've never heard. Like, wow, she backtracked like 15 years. <laughs> but, right. but at this point, it's very important for me to get music out. Um, the, not the most, re the recent one before this one, Suspension Dimension, but prior to that, every single album was done by myself. Um, I recorded them in, at, at home with, with my own gear. And that's how I did it. I was kind of a control freak and I programmed drums and I, I was just experimenting. That was, I was living in LA. That was what everyone was doing. And, and uh, just recording from home for the past, um, I'd say eight or nine years. And then in the past five, I shifted my approach because I realized that I wasn't creating music that I thought represented what I was capable of or what I want to be seen as in the future. So I, start, I started shifting more towards what I'm doing now, which is recording live, having uh, one take, not using uh, click track, and um, no tuning of any kind and those kinds of things I mentioned before, really taking the, uh, the vintage approach to recording. But um, it's been in the past five years that I've been less of a perfectionist control freak 
in the comfort of my own home to really just wanting to get an album out every year and having it be great, but also knowing that even if it's not perfect, I can just write a, write a better one, hopefully the next time. The, um, the rig rundown from what is it? Premier guitar. I just happened to watch that and I can see how you were very exacting about your specifications about what kind of guitars you work with and your equipment and everything. It's, it's pretty impressive actually. Uh, so I really, I really like to watch the rig rundown just to get an idea of how an artist thinks about the equipment they're using and how they, how they create their music. Um, now um, on your bio, uh, you have played with people like Hart, Joan Jett, Graham Nash, Country Joe McDonald, Joe Bonamassa, Guns N' Roses, so many people. Who do you think were some of the most fun and why? Well, my version of fun is kind of like an elderly woman's probably, which is what, where I can learn the most. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a bit boring <laughs> when it comes to fun. I'm just like, teach me all you know. Um, I, as far as, I mean, everyone's fun in their own way for sure. I mean, some are a bit more neurotic than others. But, um, but I'd say my favorite collaboration that I've, I've gotten to have uh, as far as opening acts and getting to play with other people would definitely be Vince Gill. He's a- Oh, okay, yeah. You wouldn't expect it necessarily. And a, and a, a lot of people aren't really familiar with some of his work um, outside of the US, but I, he's got like, I don't know how many Grammys the guy's ha guy has, I, over 10 for sure in country music, he's a, he's a very traditional country artist. And although I'm, I'm not as big of a fan of country as he is, he's in an, an incredible triage uh, of talent with his singing, his songwriting and his guitar. And his approach is always less is more. And his approach to life is less is more too. In, in many ways, he's, he's so very humble and he treats everyone the same way and he, doesn't worry about things that I'm crazy about. Like, I don't know how, how good my monitors sound and, and they're not sounding good and I'm gonna worry about it all night. He just lets it go. He's, he's such a wise guy and, um, and uh, I, I've loved working with him and learning from him. I, I, think, I think that stands out to me the most. So uh, tell us a little bit about the creation of the latest album. And um, this is going to be Analog Girl in a Digital World. Uh, the album's going to be released May 7th, um, 2021, this year. And of course, uh, when we write this up for the website, we're going to make sure that we include the link so people can pre-order the album. But tell us how that came to be. Is there a specific concept in mind? And, and what can people expect to hear? Yeah, um, well, thanks for putting that up, by the way. Um, as, as far as the, the album, it was a concept I had a few years ago. The, I've, I wrote, well, I finished the album about a year and a half ago. And it, it, typically what I've done in the past with albums is I haven't done concept albums. I've got what I believed were the strongest songs I would experiment with live and people would 
tell me which ones were their favorites. And I, I throw those ones on the albums and I would pick what I believed were the strongest songs based on that. This time I wanted to do a concept album that I wasn't worried about whether they were my strongest songs or anything like that. What I was concerned with was if I had a cohesive piece that went together and was authentic to what I was going through at the time. And, um, and that's what I did. It was a different approach. And then I was sitting in my, uh, my flat in, in the UK and I had hardly anything. I, I think I was sitting on a, like a stool and that was the only piece of furniture I had in my entire place. And I was writing Digital World. And I started thinking about, like, I think about it all the time. I'm very fortunate enough to know what it's like without smartphones. Um, a lot of young people today don't know what that's like. I didn't grow up with them. I didn't, the internet was a thing when I was born, but it, but it, uh, Google had just started and right. um, you, you, I had to read books to learn things. And I, I, when I was playing guitar, I didn't learn on YouTube. I, I had to read books. I went to school. I, I, um, I watched videos, v, VH, uh, VHS tapes over and over and over again. Uh, and then DVDs over and over. Um, I bought everything um, because I had to, it was a very different time. And so I, I wanted to, I wanted to have a place for people that are like me that either didn't get to experience their their favorite time periods, or that did get to and feel like like they can't anymore because um, you know we're at a, a, a different place in time, and um, right or wrong, uh, I, I've tried to create a, another option for people to have a a vintage approach but I'm still alive. So you can, you can see me. I'm really trying to, to carry the torch of, of the old school. So I recorded half in tape. I wanted to experience that and see, you know, what, what uh, flavors and tones that I could get from recording that way, as well as what, um, what level of musicality and ability do you need to have in order to record an entire song in one take? Uh, not just from me, but also from the musicians and, and um, how to, how to have that kind of um, level of ability with working with other people, some of whom I'd never met before until that day and, and to finish the entire thing. We finished it about five days total. And um, so that was, wow. the, was, was the old school approach. And um, Right. And, and um, crafting a song and doing it in one take, I think is refreshing. Um, it's, to me, it's more real. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. It just, to me, I would, I would prefer that. That's like, uh, you know, back in the day when we used to go and hear new music or hear some local musicians that we liked, we went to the coffee house. There wasn't a second take. You heard songs sometimes as they were being done for the first time. Wow. And, you know, that's, that's really cool. And what you were describing about young artists of today watching YouTube and, and picking up how to, how to play music. I think of that as more instant, you know, like an instant cup of coffee really to me, isn't really coffee, mm. you know, it has to be brewed and percolated. So maybe that's a good analogy. Very good. Um, <laughs> but um, let me, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the good and bad points of both Nashville and Austin and which place do you like better and why? 
That's a good question. Um, well, uh, as I as I think I mentioned before, I, I'm somebody who has moved around. I was following the music. So wherever the music was, that's where I'd be. So that included Los Angeles, which I spent over a decade in, um, London, of course, um, Austin, Texas, Nashville. And there's a few that I may have missed, but those are the kind of the main ones that one would think of. So I've spent, I've paid my dues in, in all of them. And because of that, I'm a little bit more jaded now and burnt out and would rather just like live on a farm in the middle of nowhere. That being said, as a musician, if the pros and cons of Nashville, I, I moved to Nashville from Los Angeles, drove in my car in 2015. And I knew nothing about it other than it was an up and coming place. And, uh, um, it had more, more songwriting to it. I, it was more about the song and uh, the collaboration instead of perhaps um, mainstream pop and hip hop and those kinds of things and more about the production as I believe Los Angeles was at the time. So I moved the, and I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. Lots of collaboration, lots of songwriting happening all the time, all over the place. Some people just have like a nine to five job. They have five sessions a day. It's insane. I do one and wow. I'm burnt out for the day. Um, if you're a songwriter and you're somebody who wants mostly, you know, pop country acts to hear it, it, even though some people say there's other genres, for the most part, the industry is country based. It's just how it is. Country, you know, pop country. If you're a songwriter right. and you do country music, it's a great place. If you're a musician, you're going to have lots of great musicians, but a lot of competition. Um, there's also expensive prices, of course. Prices are going up in Nashville. There's a lot of people moving there. There's, um, there's a lot of crime. Um, but at, at, at the other hand, you have access to beautiful studios. You have the industry there. You have um, you know some TV shows that are there. I got to do... Um, TV show Nashville being a musician and you have access to incredible music stores and, and gear. I mean, they've got the most incredible collection of vintage gear. So where there's a group of people that do the same thing as you, you're going to have a good time. Um, right. Right. But then, uh, Austin, I would, I believe is it's less about the industry. There's really not a big music industry there as far as record labels, publishing companies and the like, but what you have are more, a more eclectic group of people. Um, there's obviously the Texas blues scene, lots of blues, and the fans love the music. Um, people come out to the shows. In Nashville, it's a little bit harder to play gigs because everyone's a musician. In Austin, you have the tech world as well as what they call it the, the music capital of the world. I'm not entirely sure why, but um, lots of music going on, um, lots of venues. People come out um, to see you, and um, I believe that people in as far as musicians and the artists are more authentic because they're not concerned with who's coming to the show because record labels aren't going to the shows. It's definitely more of a people town um, with the music. Um, it's oh, also okay. expensive. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot smaller than Nashville as far as access to studios and also musicians. Um, it's a very, very small community. And so, um, you know, everyone knows everyone, um, which could be good or bad, depending on, <laughs> on your right. reputation. Um, so 
that's, those are my experiences. Um, you know, I've had great experiences in both. However, I'd say as a music town, I would pick Austin over Nashville for sure, for my personal goals. Right, right. And this is our final question. Um, where do you see yourself in five years and then 10 years? Well, I think about this a lot and the answer shifts because I think I, I become more aware of how I want to impact people and also the planet. I would like to be seen as something like how I see Vince Gill, uh, somebody who sings and writes music and plays guitar last, um, but sings songs that, and writes songs that are authentic to uh, the human experience and, and not hold back. I want to, you know, I, I'd love to be playing theaters, you know, a couple of seat theaters, beautiful theaters with nice sound, with a band, a big band of, a, of at least five people. And I would also like to be making my guitars. I'd like to be on the forefront of protecting and um, reforesting these tonewood trees we're cutting down for, the, for our instruments and not replenishing. I'd like to change the way that, that we do that and that guitar companies are cutting down these trees and be more, more conscious of that. I'd like to be on the forefront of that and, and make my mark and give back in that way. Um, as well as work on keeping music in schools. I'd love to make an album at least once a year and continue to refine the live element of the way that I record and, um, and tour around a bunch. I I'd like some chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not, I wouldn't eat them or anything, just, just to look at them. I think they're very cute. So, uh, well, yeah. chickens are good if you're living on that farm out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> you know, because then you get eggs from chickens. So that's that's helpful. But uh, but yeah, that might be something that you want to consider in 10 years after you've had enough of the city life is going to the country and and still writing your music or having your own studio. And yeah, you know. growing trees, a garden, have chickens and make music. I mean, that's that's a and life. You could and you could mentor other artists as well, which would be really good. I'd love that. I would love to do that. I'd be like, when I think of, when I think of the, you know, the, the producers now that are now in their mid seventies that are passing on, very sad. Um, I'd like to be that person that, you know, when you wanna, when you wanna have a sixties or seventies sound, you go to Ariel. Like I think of Jeff Lynn when I, when I think about that now, thankfully he's still alive. Um, but uh, I want to be that person. I'd, I'd love to, to work with musicians, especially women and, and singer-songwriters to do the same thing. That would be really cool. Right. Wow. Something to aspire to. Yeah. So, so Ariel, I want to thank you so much for um, interviewing with us. And um, wow, giving us all of your amazing insights. You're so brilliant for someone so young. And um I've learned something just by asking you these questions. So, um, but I want to wish you the best, especially with this new release of your album. And everybody, when we write this up, we're going to be we're going to be talking about uh, the album, the guitars, providing you providing links uh, to pre-order. And um, I'm really excited to see where this all goes. This is uh, 
Very cool. And we are going to be doing a, a review of the songs on the album as well. So we will make sure that that goes up on Rocket Night as well. So well, thank you very much. And, and I, I appreciate your your time, firstly, and, and also your thoroughness with the questions. You, you ask really um, deep and unique questions that, that uh, tell me that you've, that you've looked in and, and know um, about me in a, in a really cool way. So thank you. Well, thank you. And hey, let's see what happens when this album comes out. Yeah. And uh, Analog Girl in a Digital World. And we'll see what you're doing next and make sure we have you back again. Okay. Thank you very much. And you have a great day. You too. We'll talk soon. Bye. You're listening to Rock at Night. The introductory song, Get On Down, is from blues artist Billy, Billy Bass Alford. Look for his music at ReverbNation.com.